You're listening to Catholic Chicago Week in Review on Relevant Radio 950 AM and 930 AM. During the next hour, the Archdiocese of Chicago brings you conversation about the people, events, and issues that touch our lives. Welcome to Catholic Chicago Week in Review. Good morning, I'm Michael May of the Archdiocese of Chicago's Radio TV office, and I'm glad to be with you today for Catholic Chicago Week in Review. Every Saturday morning, we bring you highlights for our local Catholic radio programs that can be heard Monday through Friday from 8 to 9 in the morning on WNDZ 750 AM. Our program begins today with a segment from the Catholic Conference Hour radio program. Host Bob Gilligan spent time talking with Matt Dietrich, spokesperson for the Illinois State Board of Elections, about vote by mail for the November 3rd, 2020 election. Let's talk a little bit about Illinois' program. Uh, I know there's a lot going on in the country, and, and some of that impacts us here, but I, I, I think we need to clarify some specifics about what Illinois is doing, and we can take the rest of the country later at some other time. So sure. I think the thing that prompted the segment was the bill that passed uh, in Springfield uh, at the end of the legislative session um, back in May, and it was the bur- bill sponsored by Representative Kelly Burke, and it and it really kind of gave some more teeth to, to I'm going to call it a mail-in program. But I, I guess my first question to you is, before you go into it is you hear these two terms talked about a lot. Now you talk about absentee ballots and they talk about mail-in ballots. Is there a distinction in your mind between those two terms? No, they're exactly the same. They are and the same. in fact, yeah. And in Illinois, we don't even use the term absentee anymore. We haven't used that term since, uh, 2016, 2015, 2016, somewhere in there. Okay. You haven't, and, and even um, when we did have absentee voting, it's been 10 years since you've needed uh, an, an excuse okay. for an absentee ballot. So we haven't had what the, the traditional absentee voting in Illinois in a long time. It's, it's all vote by mail now. And it's been pretty steadily growing. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you, if you look back, the, the 2016 presidential election, we had about Six and a half percent of the total vote was cast by mail then. In the 2018 general election, the gubernatorial election, we saw 9.3 percent cast by mail. So we would have expected some growth in it just because once people use it, they tend to like having that convenient option of really. Uh, you know, a lot of people vote early now. Yeah. Um, and once, you know, having the ballot delivered to your home, you fill it out, you put it back in, uh, you know, you put it back in the mail. Um, you can track your ballot uh, as it's once, it, you know, you can check to make sure it's been received. Um, so vote by mail has been pr- Illinois is not a huge vote by mail state yet. Um you know, even even nine point three percent is fairly low, mm-hmm. but uh, but it's been growing, and a lot of people use it. And um, talking about the 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 bill that was signed into right. law in right. June to to address uh, the coronavirus, um, what the the biggest thing that that did for voting by mail was not really to change anything about the process. The process is still pretty much the same. But what that bill did was really, really uh, push all of the local election authorities in Illinois 
to promote voting by mail. Um, if you voted in either November of 2019 or April of in November of 2018, November uh, April of 2019, or uh, the March 2020 primary, if you mm-hmm. voted in any of those, you probably have already received an application for a vote by mail ballot from your local election authorities. What that bill did was it mandated that all local election authorities send a vote by mail application to anyone who voted in any of those three elections. That had to be done by August 1st. So I would assume that, uh, you know, all of your listeners who voted probably have received those by now. Uh, and based on what we're seeing, I think a lot of people have been returning those as well. Um, but that was the biggest thing about that bill regarding vote by mail was the uh, the mandatory mailing of an application. Mm-hmm. So uh, you know, a voter gets that. All you and and I've had a lot of calls about uh, you know we've had a Facebook post from a gentleman down in Fayette County who had five applications come to different people at his household who no longer lived in that household he put up a facebook post and said hey look at these i i'm going to vote five times that is nonsense that's absolute nonsense when you get when you request an application Mm -hmm. from your local election authority they mail it to you specifically filled out to you the voter you then sign that application when you mail it back in they're going to compare your signature with the signature that's on record back in the office of your county clerk or board of elections. Those have to match before they send you a ballot. If they don't think they match, they're going to contact you to rectify that situation. The same thing happens when you get your ballot uh, and, and you vote it and you seal it in the special envelope and you sign it. You're going to have election judges at the county clerk's office who are going to verify your signature exactly the same way that the election judges Mm -hmm. would do it in the polling place or at an early voting site. So voting by mail is secure. Um, You can't, you know, this, you know, you get multiple applications where you can send as many applications in as you want, but you're only going to get one ballot. Uh, And by the way, regarding that uh, Facebook post from the guy who had Mm -hmm. several applications, you sign somebody else's name on an application for a vote-by-mail ballot, and you put that thing in the mail, you've just committed vote fraud. And that's a very easy thing for them to trace once they see it, that the signatures don't match. Uh, and by the way, it's going to get checked again when the, when the actual ballot goes through. So this very secure process, uh, and we are really, really encouraging people to use it this year. Um, both because both for voters who are concerned about going into a polling place or an early voting site and don't want to risk exposure unnecessarily, it is the 100% COVID-free method of voting. But the other reason we want people to use vote by mail is because we know that certain people will always like to vote in person. Yep. But we'd like to keep that number as low as we possibly can for the sake of the poll workers, for the election judges who are working in the early voting sites and who will be working on Election Day, 
the fewer voters who are in those polling places at one time, the better. Uh, we want to mitigate any crowding. And that's why you'll, you'll hear us, uh, the, the hashtag that we'll be using and we'll be promoting is hashtag plan your vote Illinois, mm-hmm. plan your vote IL. Think about it. If you want to vote in person, that's fine. Uh, your local election authority is going to be taking a lot of steps to make sure that that polling place is as safe as it can possibly be. Yeah. Uh, you'll have, you know, the poll workers will have, they'll, they'll be wearing masks. There will be hand sanitizer there. Voters will be encouraged to wear masks when they're in there, yeah. uh, of course, like we do when you go to the grocery store uh, for basic consideration. But we, we want to encourage people, if you're going to vote in person, You've got 40 days to do so. Early voting begins September 24th. Plan your vote today. If you want to vote in person, go as early in the early voting cycle as you possibly can. If you're thinking of voting by mail, and I've said this over and over again, get that application in today. Because what that means is when ballots can be mailed, And that doesn't start until September 24th. That's the first day that your election authority can mail you your actual ballot. But if you apply today, that means as soon as your election authority begins mailing ballots, you'll get yours. You'll be the, uh, you know, if you're, if you're applying today, you're going to be among the first people who get those ballots when they're mailed out in, in uh, late September. That means you can mark your ballot and you can mail it back, or in some cases, you'll be able to, if you don't want to put it in the in, in the postal system, in some cases, you'll be able to take it to a secure drop box mm-hmm. at your, uh, generally at your election authority's office, the county clerk's office. Uh, however, in places like Chicago, uh, Cook County, a lot of the collar counties, they will have drop boxes at the early voting sites. So you could take it into an early voting site mm-hmm. and drop it off there. Uh, but, and uh, one reason why this story kind of exploded over the weekend was uh, the letter that a lot of states received, and Illinois received it too. This was a letter that was uh, sent to us on August 4th by the general counsel of the, of the U.S. Postal Service, basically saying that uh, they recommend that if people are going to vote by mail, to get those ballots in the mail at least two weeks before the election. Now, it kind of exploded as a nationwide story, but we always tell people in every election, uh, 2018, 2016, we've always said, if you're going to vote by mail, do not wait till the last minute to do it. Right. Don't. Now, in Illinois... You have until October 29th to request a vote-by-mail ballot from your local election authority. It's always the case in Illinois that the deadline for applying for a vote-by-mail ballot is five days before the election, which means the end of business on Thursday before the Tuesday election. That's October 29th this year. But what we're telling people and what the Postal Service was saying is, hey, you know, that's five days, and... uh, if the, if the local election authority has to mail that ballot to the voter and then the voter has to mark it and mail it back in in order for that to get postmarked 
on November 3rd, if you wait to apply for it on October 29th, you're really, really risking that it may not get postmarked on time. It may not reach the voter or the, you know, before Election Day. Right. So we always tell people, don't wait until the last minute. Now, the exception was back on March 17th on the primary, um, we were going right up until March 12th was the deadline then. And coronavirus was new. Yeah, it was, it was right. especially new it in started. Illinois back then. It just started. It went right. from being an abstract concept on uh, about March 9th to being a full-blown crisis a week later. And so we were telling people then, you still have time to get a vote-by-mail ballot. Call your local election authority. So anyway, people are going to hear a lot about that letter. Um, but as far as we were concerned, really wasn't anything that we didn't already know and that we didn't already preach all the time. And, you know, this election more than ever, uh, it's going to be important because there's going to be a tremendous volume mm-hmm. of, of vote-by-mail ballots and applications going back and forth. We're already coming up on 700 thousand applications for vote by mail ballots you know Bob, wow. the, the highest number of vote votes cast by mail ever in illinois was four hundred and thirty thousand yeah. in the 2018 gubernatorial election really we already have we're gonna, that. you know yeah. we're easily going to hit twice that this year yeah. so that is going to increase the volume on the postal service just like we hear every year at the holidays Mail your packages early if you want them there on time. Don't, you know, don't push it. Don't wait until October 29th to to decide that you want to vote by mail. Um, Get it done now. Get that application now. Uh, People do occasionally change their mind, uh, and then they decide, well, I really do want to go vote in person, and I already have my ballot. If you do that, take that mail ballot with you and surrender it when you go to the polling place. They will void it, and then you can vote in person. But we would encourage people, if you want to vote by mail, if you apply for a vote-by-mail ballot, vote it by mail. It's completely safe and secure. Just be sure you do it early. What if I do both? Is that caught eventually? Uh, so oh. what, uh, it's not? No, nah, you can't. you really can't do both. If uh, what would happen is uh, if someone were to receive, I get this question a lot. There are mm-hmm. a lot of hypotheticals that people throw at you about, yeah. you know, how can I vote twice? Couldn't I get two? You will get, it's an easy, easy one to catch. Um, first of all, uh, if you, whichever way you vote first, that's the vote that's going to count. Okay. So if, for example, you get a vote by mail ballot, it's mailed to you. Uh, then you go in, uh, let's say you, uh, you get your vote by mail ballot, um, you, but you decide, I don't want to vote by mail. I want to do it in person. You go in, they'll say, uh, did, did you vote? You know, you, it shows here because they will have a note in their poll book at your polling place. Yeah. Yeah. It it says here that you have requested a vote by mail ballot. Um, if, if you tell them that, yes, I did receive it, but I left it at home, uh, you may have to cast a provisional ballot at that point. 
uh, and then uh, the provisional ballot, once the mail ballot can be voided, the provisional ballot can be recorded as an official vote. Got it. Now, what may happen to people if you decide on October 29th that you request your ballot, let's say it's November 3rd, you still haven't received your ballot, you're panicking, you go into your polling place, mm-hmm. You can all you have to do then is sign a document saying, mm-hmm. I, re- I did, I requested it, it didn't come, and you sign a legal document saying it didn't come, you get a ballot and you vote it. Now, if you lie and you have sent in your vote-by-mail ballot and then you went down to your polling place and cast a vote, when that vote-by-mail ballot comes in, number one, your vote's already been recorded. Mm-hmm. Uh, these The uh, vote-by-mail ballots, they are barcoded or QR-coded specific to your unique voter ID number. Every voter in Illinois has one. And that uh, you, your vote uh, is recorded as having been cast by your unique voter ID. So when they receive, so you've already voted in person, but you also mailed in your ballot. When the mail ballot comes in and they try to process it in the mail office, it's going to show that you already voted in person. Okay. So now, that's gonna... uh, and, and you, that, that's vote fraud. Right. That is it vote is. fraud, and your election authority now has, in its uh, the election judges, they have a signed uh, mm-hmm. mail ballot with your signature, which is the same signature that you signed to receive your ballot in person. That's the easiest case of vote fraud to, to prove. That's a felony. Don't do that. You will get caught, just like you'll get caught if you get a, um, if you get a vote-by-mail ballot delivered to your home and it's addressed to somebody else maybe who used to live there mm-hmm. and you think well i'm just gonna i'm just gonna sign their mm-hmm. name and mm-hmm. that way i can vote mm-hmm. twice mm-hmm. you're gonna get caught you will get caught that's vote don't fraud. do that that's a felony and that's a very easy one to prove are the ballots that you're mailing um postage what was it postage free so do they have to pay for that to, to, to return them back is that all paper? uh some jurisdictions provide postage-paid ballots. Okay. I know the city of Chicago, the Chicago Board of Elections does. If you're voting by mail, they will mail you a ballot that is postage prepaid. They're not required to do that. Okay. Some do and some don't. Usually it's about $1.40. Okay. Uh, and, and that's all very clear. Uh, when you get your vote-by-mail ballot, it tells okay. you exactly how much postage you need. Now, the good news is... Um, if you forget to put postage on it, or if you're, let's say, you know, you're 50 cents short, once you mail that, the post office will deliver it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. That was one of the most important things that we had to, to make sure of with the Postal Service. We had a meeting with them back in July, um, and, and they said, we do not return to sender any vote-by-mail ballot. Okay. It gets delivered to the local election authority. Now, under the election bill that was signed into law in June, all election authorities are required to accept a vote, any vote-by-mail ballot they receive with postage due or whether it's properly marked, uh, whether it has proper postage. They have to accept it, and they have to pay the extra postage. So... If you put your ballot in the mail, it's, it's going to get there. And, and, and by the way, I have to emphasize this. The ballot has to be postmarked 
no later than November 3rd. It can arrive at your local election authority's office for two weeks after the election. So as long as it's postmarked November 3rd or earlier, it can get there through November 17th and it will be counted. But we want people to return those early mm-hmm. so that our election authorities aren't receiving tens of thousands of mail ballots on Election Day or on the day after. One thing that's going to do, it's going to, it's going to help give an accurate picture on election night of what the actual final vote will be if you don't have tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of, of mail votes that are still trickling in for two weeks. The other thing it's going to do is it's going to help your the workers at your county clerk's office have a nice even workflow. Right. If over that that forty day period when the ballots are being mailed out, if voters are returning them quickly as they get them throughout October, uh, that allows the the workers in the county clerk's office because they it's just like a polling place, you have election judges who receive the envelopes. They have to check the signatures. They open them. They have to make sure the ballot's okay. They feed it through a tabulator, just like you would do. Um, it allows them to have an orderly workflow so that they're not under a mountain of, of ballots. Uh, it also helps uh, under the new election law. If there's any problem with your vote-by-mail ballot, your local election authority is required to notify you within 48 hours that there's a problem, and here's what you need to do to fix it. So let's say you forget to sign your ballot. You mail it in. They're going to call you and say, uh, Mrs. Smith, you, we, we have a ballot here, but it's not signed. Um, you're going to need to attest to that. Uh, if there's time, they may be able to uh, send a new ballot back. Um, there are a lot of different things that can happen. Sometimes uh, those mail ballots, uh, arrive and they aren't properly sealed. They arrive mm-hmm. in the election authority office and they're already opened. That ballot cannot be counted. The voter will be notified and they'll be told, your ballot wasn't properly sealed. We need to send you a new ballot. If you've sent your ballot back early, they have plenty of time to send you a new one for you to mark it and for you to send it back. So they have to give you an option other than going in and voting in person. Uh, and if you return that ballot early, you'll have plenty of time in case something goes wrong. But an awful lot of people have used this um, in previous elections without any problem. Um, and I think that voters, once they try it, they're going to see that, you know, this is a pretty convenient way of doing things. Although, as we know, there are a lot of people who enjoy that tradition yes. of going mm-hmm. in, marking the ballot, feeding it into the tabulator, knowing that when they leave that polling place, it's the vote has been cast. If you're in that category, consider early voting and consider voting as early in the uh, 40-day period that starts September 24th as early as you can. You're really pushing uh, early voting. <laughs> we, we yeah, yeah, yeah. Plan your vote. Plan how you're going to do it. Our thanks to Bob and Matt for that very important information. Stick around. In a moment, we will hear how regional food pantries are faring during the COVID-19 pandemic. We'll be back in a moment. 
The 23rd annual Monsignor Michael Bolin Golf Invitational was unfortunately canceled for this year, but we are still gathering online to offer support to Catholic Charities Family Stabilization Services that benefit each year from this outing. Catholic Charities has been working nonstop throughout the pandemic to help the growing number of people who have lost their jobs and never before imagined needing assistance. Can you help us help them? Become a sponsor, purchase raffle tickets, or simply make a donation to help people who are very much in need this summer. This special online drive and raffle continues through August 31st. For more information, visit the events page on Catholic Charities website and look for the Monsignor Bowen Golf Invitational. Thank you for helping make this a major win for a great cause this year. Welcome back to Catholic Chicago Week in Review, a program that brings you highlights of our local Catholic radio programs that can be heard Monday through Friday from 8 to 9 in the morning on WNDZ 750 AM. On Tuesday's Voice of Charity program, co-hosts Marie Jokum and Bridget Murphy talked with a couple of staff members about how Catholic Charities regional offices are creatively working with staff, volunteers, parishes, and food vendors to ensure that the increased needs of food pantries are met while following all COVID-19 safety protocols. Here's a highlight. Today, we're really excited to welcome to the show two of Catholic Charities' frontline workers who, along with their colleagues and volunteers, are going to amazing lengths to help clients in the west suburbs of Chicago. Michael Waters is, I've never called you Michael before, but Michael Waters. <laughs> Only my mother calls Michael. <laughs> Michael, Mike Waters is director of Catholic Charities West Region, and Claudia Andrade is the regional office manager and volunteer coordinator for the West Regional Office. Welcome, Mike and Claudia. Thanks. Thank you. Uh, before we get to questions for both of you, we want to share a little bit about some of the statistics related to food. As you might imagine, um, between folks who were already challenged in making ends meet and then the number of people who have lost shifts or lost jobs or see industry uh, shrinkages, uh, food pantries have become an absolute lifeline in terms of stretching already tight dollars. Catholic Charities has nine food pantries that have been serving an average of 1,400 households per week. Um, we have provided more than 297,000 meals and, yeah, and bags or boxes of food. Um, and we have answered calls around 25,000 at our emergency response line, which connects people with services including food and financial assistance. So the need is great. Uh, Mike and Claudia are meeting it every day, so we're grateful to hear a little more from you about your work and the clients in the community. Mike, we're going to start with you. And, you know, I've had the privilege of being able to see you in action, um, see you and Claudia in action in many instances. But can you share with us, when we're talking about the West region of Catholic Charities, what does that mean? Um, what suburbs are included and what have you been seeing and what are some of those significant issues facing you during the pandemic? Sure. So we serve, uh, in our Cicero office, we serve 31 suburbs in West Cook County, everything from Cicero on the east to Western Springs on the west and a countryside on the south up to about uh, Shiva Park and Franklin Park on the north. So it's a fairly large and diverse area. Um, we have seen a dramatic increase in, in requests for our help um, since the pandemic started. 
you know, when the shelter-in-place order went into effect in late March, we overnight virtually saw a, a, a doubling or tripling of the demand for our food pantry. Um, in April, we served three times as many families as we did the year before. Um, it's come down a little bit, but in June and July, we still served about twice as many families as normal. And we think that's going to continue to be the case for some time. Uh, we've seen a huge spike in calls for financial assistance, for rent and utility assistance, and we anticipate that will continue for a while. So the challenge for us has been to figure out how to meet that additional demand in a way that um, also ensures uh, the safety of our clients and, and staff and volunteers, and uh, we believe we've been able to do that. Tell us a little bit, I mean, that requires <clears throat> a great deal of coordination and support from partners. So can you tell us a little bit about those partners, including the Chicago Food Depository? Yeah, so we get about 80% of our food from the Greater Chicago Food Depository. They're a food bank that um, provides food to member pantries throughout Cook County. Um, we also, though, get a lot of um, donations. Uh, we... In April, when it became clear that we were um, we were having a hard time keeping our shelves stocked because of the demand, we reached out to uh, parishes and businesses in the community to ask for help, and we got a tremendous response. We've just in our Cicero office alone, we've gotten thousands of bags of and boxes of groceries donated by uh, parishes and schools and businesses. We've had a lot of donations from uh, corporate partners. And we've also gotten a lot of monetary donations because we've been going to retail sources we ordinarily wouldn't use uh, to buy food uh, to supplement what we're getting from the food depository to make sure that uh, we're giving our clients an adequate uh, amount of food. And, you know, I think that that coordinated response, you know, during this pandemic, but kind of always with you and your colleagues who serve as regional directors, I think is one of the like real jewels of Catholic charities, right? That ability to be in the community and kind of mobilize corporations and businesses and parishes and faith communities and community partners. I think that's incredible. And, and we're really grateful for those relationships that allowed you to kind of pick that up in the moment of crisis. Mike, uh, tell us a little bit about the community you serve, and particularly the folks you've seen in the food pantry, because I know you really educated me early on about a, a large number of them working in hospitality and being in industries that were um, hit early and hit hard. Yeah, Cicero, is, it's a working-class community, um, and uh, primarily uh, Latinx, um, and we have seen, uh, so when the pandemic started and the, and the shelter-in-place order went into effect, many of those residents uh, found themselves immediately out of work or having their hours cut. As you said, a lot of them are in hospitality or service industry jobs, restaurants, hotels, retail, um, where they were you know, either out of work or working fewer hours, and so they turned to us for help. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, we've seen two and three times the normal number of clients in our food pantry, and a lot of those are first-time clients, people who have never come to us before. And they're now, you know, these are folks, a lot of them living paycheck to paycheck, and, uh, you know, hardworking people um, kind of struggling to get by as it is. Mm -hmm. 
and just one or two missed paychecks can can really put them into a hole that's hard to get out of. And so we're there trying to to help them in whatever way we can. Mike, have you sort of seen that folks kind of are coming as first-timers wondering how you do this? I mean, is that some of what you're seeing as well, kind of new folks to the pantry system? Yeah, yeah. And so we... So we're there to, to, you know, try to guide them through the process. Um, also, we, we view our food pantry as sort of a port of entry for um, a lot of these first-time clients where we're also trying to connect them with other services right. at Catholic Charities. And so they will often ask our frontline staff in the food pantry, how do I go about getting uh, rental assistance? And they'll give them the information on do, how to do that. We will pass out flyers about other services, either at Catholic Charities or in the community, because those community partnerships with other social service organizations and health organizations are important to us as well. So we'll pass out information about uh, free COVID testing, about other financial assistance programs outside of Catholic Charities, uh, about other food pantries or, or food distribution events. And so we're, we're you know, trying to not just provide people with a few bags of groceries, but to help steer them toward other programs that could help them in other ways. And, you know, I think what's so interesting about that is that it is a well-oiled machine in terms of employees and volunteers, particularly in your office. And and as I mentioned, I had um, at one of the beginning days of busy food pantries, not your first one, um, but I had the privilege of seeing that unfold. And Claudia, I know you've worked with Mike to to make sure that employees and volunteers are thoroughly protected um, and have all the things they need. Can you share with us what that looks like and maybe how that's different than before? <laughs> yes, yes, of course. So all our employees and volunteers are outfitted with PPE. We have signs posted at the main entrance uh, indicating a face covering must be worn inside the facility. We have uh, limited the flow of people inside also. So all employees and volunteers are are required to fill out a COVID health check questionnaire right before entering. Um, We also have signs posted throughout the facility reminding everyone about uh, maintaining six feet of social distance. Um, disposable gloves are available and must be worn when working in the food pantry. We have hand sanitizers and disinfectant wipes available throughout the facility. We do all that we can to protect our staff and volunteers because they are risking themselves to help, of course. Yeah, Claudia, I think it's amazing, too, just to think, I mean, there's a lot of hardworking staff at play, but it's also a lot of volunteers who come and look to you um, and Mike and other folks there to kind of figure out how how are we going to make this work. So kudos to you to making the whole system work. Yeah, that's a Herculean task. And so for folks who might not have used a pantry, um, you come in, and um, they used to be what we called choice, right? So um, guests would shop just as you might at a grocery store, but my understanding is that's not how they operate anymore. Do, so everything's prepackaged, and what kinds of foods do you have? Yes, yes. Um, so they used to be called client's choice, where the clients would come in and choose what foods they wanted to have. But now, uh, for the short term at least, we are prepacking grocery bags with a variety of food items. 
such as canned beans, dried rice, pasta, cereal. Um, we bring them the bags to the clients outside of the pantry, so outside of the facility. We have not uh, reduced the hours at the pantries. They are still open at the same hours as before for those who need food. Um, many regular senior volunteers have um, not been able to help out um, due to the circumstances, but um, we are asking, reaching out um, for volunteers who are interested in helping us out. There are certain shifts and days that we are in need, so we invite all listeners who want a break from being at home now and, um, and during fall to come and help. It's a very Claudia, bold experience. move. <laughs> Middle of the show. Ask for volunteers. Yes. What I think, you know, I, I really do. You have a great army of volunteers there. It is an uplifting time to kind of be together and see the process unfold. And for anyone listening, it is safe. You know, we um, they, they really are doing everything in their power to make sure that everyone involved is safe and, and treated with dignity. And, you know, as winter months are coming, we are recognize that it will continue to be outside and we're going to continue to need to make sure those lines go quickly. So the more volunteers that we have safely, the better. So definitely call Claudia. She is a lovely person to work for. So um, Claudia, we've got just a few seconds here. You want to give that, that that telephone number and then we'll take a short break. Yes. Any volunteers interested can call 708-329-4023. Claudia, um, can you share with us, um, how does someone go about using the food pantry if any of our listeners know someone or need to use it themselves? Uh, Yes. So they are welcome to come in Monday, Tuesday, or Thursday. We have different hours. If they would like a schedule, they can call 708-222-1491. We serve anyone that lives in the West Region, anyone in need of food, they just have to bring in their photo ID with their home address, and they will be provided several bags of foods, including frozen meats. I love that. I love that. And if you know folks are in need of other pantries, definitely can visit our website, catholiccharities.net, and find the pantry closest to you. Mike, can you, or Claudia and Claudia, can you guys share a, a client story that might help our listeners better understand the situations that, that the folks you are working with are facing and how you've been able to help? Uh, yes. We actually had a family. We've had several families in need of help during this time. There was one family of five who had fallen behind three months of rent The husband and wife both worked for a restaurant and had been let go from their job due to COVID. They had three young children, and one of them being a baby who needed formula, milk, and diapers. Um, So we were able to provide rental assistance for the family to cover the three months of rent, and we were also able to provide uh, diapers for the baby and food for the family. So one of our core values is compassion. We provided compassion to this family during this time of need. I love that. And, and it brings back to what Mike said earlier, right? That idea that it's a port of entry, the food pantry. You're able to, to meet a family 
know what's going on and kind of help them navigate into all the other services Catholic Charities does. And truly, I think that's what's so special about the regional offices is that it is like that first stop. It's that first entry into, you know, someone goes and your building is so friendly and it's full of lovely people. But it really is that that spot where you first step into all of the things Catholic Charities can do. Right. Can you tell us, um, Mike or Claudia, a, a little more about what the regional offices do? I think we should say, first of all, it's very important for Catholic Charities that we're in the community, <clears throat> excuse me, and that we, we know the community, we know the leaders, we know, and by that I mean natural leaders, not just who the alderman is or, or who the township person is, but, but who the community leaders are, who the partners are. But tell us a little more about how regional offices operate. Sure. Um, so we have a handful of regional offices in the suburbs throughout Cook and Lake counties, um, and they are basically kind of full-service offices. But a big part of my job as a regional director is developing and nurturing those relationships with parishes, with community leaders, with other social service organizations. Uh, and so we're all very active in networking in the community, um, building those relationships, uh, relationships with parishes have always been very important to Catholic Charities. Um, they not only provide us with a lot of client referrals, but they also provide us with uh, so much support and that allows us to, to serve as many clients as we do. In the Cicero office, we also provide a number of other services. A lot of our, we have uh, immigration assistance, legal assistance, uh, counseling, uh, we have um, transitional housing programs for homeless families with children, for homeless veterans. And so we have caseworkers and counselors based in our Cicero office uh, that offer those services. And, and if you go on the, the Catholic Charities website, catholiccharities.net, um, you can find the services offered through our Cicero office. So, um, And we are offering still most of those programs are still operating during the pandemic. A lot of them, a lot of the assistance and counseling programs are operating remotely uh, where, where the caseworkers and counselors uh, are working with clients by phone or through video conferencing. Um, but we are still, they are still operating and still working. And we, uh, many of them, counseling programs are more important right now than ever. Yeah. So uh, we're very proud of our staff for doing that. Yeah, absolutely. And we've had many of those folks on this show. Mike, you know, I always think of your role as kind of like a cruise director for Catholic Charities. <laughs> and that's what I think you are. You're the, you're the two cruise directors of the West. So thank you for everything you do for, for all of us. Well, thank you. I think it's important to share, too. Um, you know, these are extraordinary times, and there are a lot of people in need and, and defining need in a wide variety of ways. And I think... You know, what we try to emphasize at Catholic Charities about how we do our work, and, and maybe Claudia and, and Mike, you could say an, another word about this, is, you know, there's never any shame in needing help. Um, you know, we have a lot of first-time clients during COVID, and we just want to make sure people understand, and people should understand this whether they use our services or not, that everyone needs help from time to time. Um, people have very challenging circumstances, and, and we are here to walk with you and to help you get over that hump that you're facing, that challenge you're facing. Um, but we, we all have needs, and we all go through periods of real challenges. And so um, there's, there's no judgment. There's no shame. Please 
please reach out and please share the services with people you know who need them. So now is a great time, Claudia, for you in the last couple seconds of the show for you to give that number one more time in case anyone would be interested in volunteering or would like to know more about the services in the West. Yes, of course, Marie. So they can reach 708-329-4023. That number will go directly to me, Claudia, and I will guide them through the process of becoming a volunteer. For more information about the services offered by Catholic Charities and how you can help, visit catholiccharities.net. That's catholiccharities.net. It's time for another break, and when we return, we will hear about how the COVID-19 pandemic has adjusted our priorities. Back in a moment. Do you have a gently used laptop or desktop computer that is gathering dust in your home? Consider donating to our Catholic Charities Veterans Computer Project. We will clean out your device, give it new software, and repurpose it for a veteran who is looking for employment. Your gift will make an incredible difference in a veteran's ability to find a job. Catholic Charities provides veteran services throughout Lake and suburban Cook Counties, giving participants an array of professional and personal support. Our veterans have served our country, and it is our privilege to serve them. To learn more about Catholic Charities Veterans Services and the Veterans Computer Project, call 847-782-4219. That's 847-782-4219. Welcome back to Catholic Chicago Week in Review, a program that brings you highlights of our local Catholic radio programs that can be heard Monday through Friday from 8 to 9 in the morning on WNDZ 750 AM. Here's a reminder that you can also listen to all our programs live or at your convenience by going to radiotv.archchicago.org. That's radiotv.archchicago.org. And all our radio programs are available on all the popular podcasting platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Anchor. So please subscribe today. In our final segment, the hosts of Built on the Rock return from hiatus to encourage listeners to be intentional about employing some of the positive lessons learned during these challenging times. Let's take a listen. Good morning and welcome to Built on the Rock. I am Father Brito Bergmans, the host of this show. I'm here in the studio and I'm with my co-host Sandy Labouvi, who is on her phone at home. Hi, Sandy. Good morning, Father. How are you doing? I'm doing great. It has been a while since I've seen you. It kind of feels odd to be sitting in the studio all by myself. Oh, I apologize for that, and I applaud you for braving your way into the studio. It has been almost Five six months. months. Yeah. Yeah. Back in, I think it was our February 20th show when we had Joe and oh. Siobhan on with us. It's been a while, hasn't it? It's so good <sighs> to be connected again in this way, even though... It's very different than what we're used to, but isn't that a sign of the times these days, Father? Exactly. I mean, everything is different. I think the whole world is feeling it. It is such a strange time. Oh, my goodness. Unprecedented. I don't think anybody imagined that we would be living through something like this. No. Even in the early days when we recorded our last show, we had mentioned this pandemic, but I think it was still kind of overseas at the time. And Never in our wildest dreams would we have imagined it coming so close to home. And for everybody, as you said, in this world, nobody is immune to this. Nobody has been spared. I mean, my family back in India, they're all on lockdown. And, you know, there was a period when they could go out only once or twice a week in order to do some shopping. 
And my brother who had to work somewhere, he had to show a pass in order to drive his car through the traffic. I mean, unbelievable what we are living through. It kind of makes you wonder, is there an end in sight to this? I mean, well, we're... I, I, yeah. I'm sure there is, but, you know, we do not know what kind of end it's going to be and what yeah. kind of reality we are going to be, you know, living through. Right, right. I think of, um, like right now, I think many of our listeners have children um, who are getting ready to start school up again, if they haven't already. And and how different is that entire process? For me personally, I have two teenage boys, as you know, and my older son just graduated high school and is ready to start college. And um, he's going to the University of Tennessee in Knoxville, and his first semester will be remote now from home because I know. five of the Five of his six classes were scheduled online, so at that point, he switched his sixth one because what's the point in sitting in a dorm room in Tennessee yep. when he could sit in his room at home and save some costs? And Of course, the whole college experience will be different. His will be a little delayed as opposed to others who are sending their children exactly. away to school he now. Will, yeah, he, he will get that experience, I'm sure. He will get know. there. But yeah, all of this new remote learning, I mean, it's affecting everybody. I know my younger son is struggling with the fact that his high school is fully remote now. He says he just doesn't learn well that way. Yeah. Um, so, again, back to our point, nobody is immune to this. It affects the adults, their livelihoods, the children, and everybody everybody in between. It's, and, and, I guess, and people yeah. are filled with so much fear and anxiety. Right, and uh, right. people are afraid of the unknown, the uncertain. People don't know what to do. You know, as I walked here to the studio, mm-hmm. most of the people are wearing masks. And of course, I also saw the some of the businesses boarded up because of the looting. I mm. mean, it's, it feels so strange, you know. And mm-hmm. uh, people are also getting sick, and some of them are dying. We have done some funerals of people who died of COVID, right. and I know there are some very generous priests who have volunteered, younger guys who have gone to anoint people who are affected with this with this virus, right. you know. And and there have been a lot of things. But one thing I noticed that people of faith, I think, have a better handle on it because I mm-hmm. think we know ultimately the Lord is in charge. Yes. In general, it's yes, it's true. I mean, when we face crises or we're in moments of fear, thank goodness we have faith to lean into at those times. I know. Because when you know the Lord is holding our hand, you know, yes, we are afraid, we are anxious, but yes. we have that sense of, certitude that this God will be watching over us. Right, right. But, but one, yeah. And also, unfortunately, so many families have been devastated because they have lost mm. their jobs, they have lost their livelihoods. Mm-hmm. It's a very, very sad time for a lot of people. And we feel one with all of them. But we yes. also feel with them, one with them, in a different sense, you know. I'm sure you have reflected on this because suddenly we have been connected to the entire world. Mm-hmm. Because we feel yes. that we are in the same boat. Sometimes it's right. easy to forget that. No, right. nobody's. Like we, yeah. Oh, I was going to say, like we talked about earlier, nobody's been immune to this, and the virus has not played favorites. Nobody's been exempt from it. It has affected the rich and the poor and the young and the old and yes, even the, the folks in Hollywood and the people here oh. you know, in our towns and communities. It's affected everybody. Absolutely. And, and, and the other part of it is that we need each other we, because we need to work for the common good. I mean, if I don't wear a mask, I'm going to uh, 
you know, hurt you and you're going to hurt me for you don't wear a mask or social distance. And that is what is happening in the country because there are people who don't care. Right, see, right. We are forgetting we are in this together and we need each we other. Are. Even on a government level, you know, we need to help each other because the research done in one country can help the other. If you look at the development of vaccines, how all the nations are getting together. And I think that's right. a very good reminder because it's easy for us to think about our own little nook in this on this globe. No, no, we are part of this huge humanity. Right. You know, right. even within the country, you know, unfortunately, we are coming to an election. We start mm -hmm. to feel these divisions. You know, you are on the left, I'm on the right. I'm on the left, you are on the right. I mean, I'm in the middle, wherever. And we forget that first we are Americans. First right. we are Catholics. We are children of God. And I think that sense of solidarity, I wish we would really feel that during this difficult time. Right, and and focus our our efforts on the overall common good of humanity, not just what works for us in our little particular place in that time for our agenda, but the overall common good for everybody involved. If there's nothing else we've learned through this pandemic, it is how quickly things, how how, how connected we are, how quickly things spread. Yes. You know, we are a very small world, getting smaller all the time. So if we can keep the common good of everybody in the forefront of our thinking and our actions, um, it positions us, obviously, the best to get through this. Yes, but I you're mean, right. my mind yeah. went back to 1985. You remember that? Oh, you were very young. Yes. There was uh, that video that they produced, that song, We Are the World. Yes. I mean, yes. that was for famine in Africa, but the world right. came together. You know, we need to feel that kind of solidarity. Now, one thing right. I learned, you know, as I get older, we need that. You know, we, we are part of a bigger whole. You know, we have to forget our little, you know, little parochial divisions and ghettos and reach out to humanity. And that's what will make us also happier and more content in our life. Do you know what I mean? That's, I definitely know what you mean. That and is especially, absolutely the truth. Yeah, especially for me, you know, because I had the privilege of living on three different continents. I don't feel I'm completely only Indian. I hope I don't come across badly, but I feel mm -hmm. I'm Indian, but I lived in Italy. I feel Italian. I've, I've lived in America all these years. I feel American. You know, that we are part of the humanity or the whole of humanity. <laughs> right. We are it's all like brothers and sisters. Right. Each of those is kind of a subset of you, but the larger overall picture is that you are a human side by side in this world with plenty of other brothers and sisters and we are all at that level united exactly so i yes. think um i think that is a great way to start this discussion and, and we thought sandy you and i we thought that it would be better to talk about this pandemic and yes. uh, what we have learned and how we can probably cope with this you know hopefully we can help our listeners and it has affected all our lives, our relationships. And so in the next section, we would like to talk about what lessons we can learn during this time. You know, whenever you hit a crisis, you have two choices, you know. One choice is just to ignore it and try to see you can go on the way you always you did or you try to change your ways. And so this crisis is calling on us how we can change for the better. So here are some lessons I think we have learned. What do you say, Sandy? 
Yes, I think it's actually um, a great way to reflect on our, our present condition in the middle of this pandemic, um, because as we open our show discussing, even down to this very radio show we're, we're, we're taking part in right now, things are so different. We've been forced into um, different situations, different priorities, and, and basically some new normals at home. Or maybe they're, they're becoming normal, maybe some people hope they're not, but new ways of operating. And so we've We've taken a little time to reflect on those, Father Brito, and think yes. about the things we have learned from that and how do they apply to our relationships, not just during this time of pandemic, but what can we do intentionally to carry some of these, what I would call virtues, yes. forward um, so that they become a part of our relationships outside of the pandemic as well. Because yes. even though I think this has caused a lot of frustration for people, I think there have been some really incredible blessings that have come from this um, this this time. Yes, some blessings that were were not planned for. I know. Um, for example, if we want to start with just the virtue of humility. Um, oh yes. Thinking about this this pandemic, this illness, it it gave us a reminder, a stark reminder that we are all helpless. Right? We don't call the shots. Exactly. Ultimately, we do not have that power and even as advanced a nation as we are advanced technologically as advanced medically as we are our great wealth our strong economy all of these things couldn't help us when it came to this pandemic it still struck us and it reminded us that we aren't in control don't you agree yeah i mean it kind of knocked us off our pedestals you know yes people's yes. plans were rudely disrupted they couldn't go on with their normal lives you know, in a certain sense, we had to throw up our hands and say, you know, I surrender to this. Right. We realize right. that nature is far more powerful than we are. Right. And, Very true. And I think that is an admission that will lead to humility. And, yes. And humility is a virtue that is in short supply. A lot of mm -hmm. the problems in families, in marriages, in our society can all be attributed to lack of humility. And mm. When we are humble, we find favor with God, and people also want to be with us. That's true. That's and true. St. Augustine called humility the secret of holiness. So what a wonderful stepping stone for us, as we were kind of, like you said, knocked off our pedestals, put in place in a sense, reminded that we don't have this overarching control and power, and yep. ultimately we don't have this grand scheme figured out. Yep. If we can carry that forward into our relationships and the way we, we interact with each other and the way we um, accept other views and other opinions that aren't necessarily yeah. aligned with ours from a position of humility that maybe we don't have all the answers. Exactly. Maybe in our, our little plan it looked like it was laid out perfectly, but then wham, yep. something enters into the picture. How do we react to that with people we relate to? How do we react to that with I know. love? Our thanks to Father Brito and Sandy for that timely discussion. We close today's program with an important reminder that you can attend Mass online by visiting our website, archchicago.org. That's archchicago.org. The Masses are also available on Facebook and our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash catholicchicago. Our thanks to ABC7 for televising our English Sunday Mass at 9.30 in the morning, to Univision for televising our Spanish language Mass at 10 a.m., and Pole Vision for televising our Polish language mass Sunday at 9 a.m. and 3 p.m. Thank you for listening to us every Saturday morning on Relevant Radio 950 and 930 a.m. 
I'm Michael May for Catholic Chicago Week in Review. Have a great weekend. Join us every Saturday morning for Catholic Chicago Week in Review. You can stream our programs live or listen to past programs by visiting our website, archchicago.org, and clicking on Radio TV. And please connect with Catholic Chicago on social media.